Welcome to On Your Own Terms. I'm Patty Talbot, and this is the place where we learn together what it takes to change the world on our own terms and in our own special way. Today, I have with me a very special new friend, Sue Bevan Baggett. And Sue is someone I met through the heroic public speaking program I've been involved with. And like so many times when I do these interviews, I get someone that I know a little bit, and I think I know about their work as a change maker. And then when we get into deep conversation, I discover so many more ways that they are working to change the world and make the world a better place. Sue's conversation was one of those conversations. I started to introduce her to you as a person from business because I knew that she was an engineer working for Procter & Gamble, and I knew that she was working on women's leadership issues and leadership in general, and I knew that she was involved with angel investing. But what you're going to find out today is all the many, many facets and many, many issues that are important to Sue and how she has worked from many different angles to address those issues that are so important to her and so important to so many people, especially women in today's world. So I invite you now to join me in hearing Sue's homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. Welcome Sue Bevan Baggett. I grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. My parents were originally from, uh, my mother was from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. A lot of people will know that as sort of Amish country or farm country. And my dad grew up in a combination of uh, mostly like New Jersey. And then by the time he was in college, his parents had moved down to Virginia Beach, Virginia. So I have um, a lot of fond memories growing up. Most of our vacation time as a family was spent visiting grandparents. So we would do weekend trips out to, to the farm country. And then in the summers, we'd spend time with my, my dad's parents in Virginia Beach. Went to a, a very large uh, public high school, like right on the outskirts of Philadelphia, which really in, enjoyed. It was very diverse backgrounds of, of people in my classes. I really enjoyed getting involved in a lot of the activities at school, uh, you know, a mixture of different things from academics to to sports and social clubs. It was, you know, it was, it was a, a fun time. Um, I didn't have a huge wide group of friends, but I had some really dear and wonderful close friends that I formed some strong relationships. A couple of things to remember about my childhood. One, um, my parents were, we were very active in our church. So faith played an important role. And my parents were also great role models around giving back. So I know we're going to talk a little later about change making. One of the things that was really modeled for me was service. I had a grandparents on both sides that we enjoyed visiting as a family and that they were very service oriented too. So that was something I kind of, you know, grew up with. One grandfather, you always say, you know, use your talents to the fullest in service of others. That was the approach. But I think like everyone in, in childhood, we also faced some, some challenges. And one of them was my mom um, had some significant mental health challenges. She had her first full on breakdown when I was about 11 years old. And I was the oldest of three daughters at the time and put me in a position of, you know, I, I love my mom. She was a wonderful, sensitive, caring person. And, you know, but she had some, some challenges. It was, you know, later diagnosed that she had bipolar disorder. At that time, it was not very well understood. But as a child, that taught me a lot of, of empathy in terms of doing everything I could 
to you know help our family, help my mom as she dealt with the ups and downs of her mental health issues. So that was something that certainly impacted me growing up. Fortunately, we had some, uh, they, my parents were very wise. They got me some uh, counseling help to work through it and, and our whole family, which was a very helpful thing. And then also we had a lot of support in different ways from our grandparents, particularly my, my father's parents. I, my father's father was kind of my, my mentor. <laughs> he was a, definitely ahead of his time for his generation. He always told me growing up that girls can be anything they want to be. And <laughs> he encouraged me. I loved science. I loved math. He said, you should be an engineer, you know, engineers help solve problems and, uh, you know, make the world a better place. So he was one of the reasons why I ended up, you know, eventually deciding to study engineering, which was not a common major for women at the time. I'm definitely grateful to have had that mentorship and that encouragement as a woman. I, I didn't believe there were any barriers <laughs> because he told me, you know, I could be whatever I wanted to be. I really learned empathy was through the challenges that our family faced, my mom's mental health challenges. So that was certainly a, a factor and something that's, you know, important to me. And then I have a sister who experienced challenges with domestic violence. And so that is another cause that's very important to me. Um, there is a night that I will never forget. Um, I was pregnant with my second child and we were in Cincinnati um, and I get a phone call from my sister, Sandy, and she's actually calling me from a police station um, and her husband had attacked her and she and her two-year-old daughter had to flee the house. It was just heartbreaking. Um, so we arranged for her to get into a hotel under our credit card so that her husband could not find her. This is something that, um, you know, there were a series of concerning behaviors that had been happening leading up to this, um, whereby, uh, you know, her husband was struggling with some mental health challenges and was not getting help. Um, and he was following some of the patterns of behavior from a domestic violence or gender violence standpoint in terms of trying to isolate and control and cut her off from family. Um, and and, you know, very challenging for my sister to deal with. She tried to get him to get counseling. He wouldn't do it. Uh, finally, it hit a breaking point and, you know, he had attacked her. Um, fortunately, she came through with mostly just bruising and, and, and some damage to her ribs, but she got away safely and never went back. Um, sadly, Far too many women get trapped in these situations and, um, and they don't have a place to turn. Fortunately, my sister had kept in touch with us and we were able to, to help. Um, over time, uh, she got some help from some local organizations to support you know, women facing gender-based violence. And uh, our family was able to rally around her and help her move out of the area uh, with her daughter um, to kind of get a fresh start back closer to where my parents were and where my other sister was at the time. But, you know, it really, that experience made me realize that these sorts of things can happen to anyone in any situation. And, you know, you can't always, you can't know or can't predict 
when um, when someone in a relationship is going to go unhinged and you know, if they won't get help and you know then you need to figure out how to support the survivor. Um, and fortunately, like I said, my sister had some local help and then was able to have family help, but there are far too many women who get trapped in these really unhealthy relationships. Um, so that is a cause that's always been um, important to me uh, because it's such a misunderstood situation and because so many women feel so trapped. Um, so over time, not immediately at that time, but over time as I grew to understand this and as I had the ability um, uh, as my family situation evolved that I had some time and space to do work, uh, trying to work on ending um, domestic violence, gender-based violence uh, was something that I dove into first from a, um, I, I uh, got to know some of the local nonprofits in the Cincinnati area and eventually got involved as a, uh, a board member and I've stayed involved as a strategic advisor um, to that work, to an organization um, locally, because having had the experience with my sister, it really helped me to understand something that's unfortunately not well understood that a lot of people don't even speak about. And I've learned that speaking out about it can really help more people to understand why it needs time and attention. Um, so, uh, so I'm rambling a little bit, <laughs> but so what I ended up doing is, you know, later on in, in my life when I had the time and space, in addition to giving money to an organization, I decided to give my time. I spent about six years on the board of an organization in Cincinnati, Ohio called Women Helping Women. Um, they uh, have done some tremendous work in the area of both preventing gender-based violence as well as providing unique support for survivors. Um, they have a program that is now getting a national recognition whereby they send uh, people who are trained in domestic violence to go in with police to, you know, on, on you know, in-home situations to help provide extra protection for survivors, for children who are witnessing it. Uh, and that's, you know, now been proven to be very effective and helpful. Um, they have some other innovative programs around uh, preventative training in schools, uh, prevention training in organizations. And uh, so, you know, I'm very pleased to spend time with them. Um, I'm no longer on the board, but I'm on a, a strategic advising, you know, committee to that organization. When I first started my career, I had done some summer internship work. I went to Lehigh University and, and studied chemical engineering there. And uh, one of my summer jobs was in um, an oil refinery, actually. And I was doing mathematical modeling of this catalytic cracking unit at an oil refinery. And while I loved the mathematical modeling, my favorite part of the internship was really lunch when I got to interact with the other interns. And so I learned from that, that the type of role I wanted to do in engineering was not sitting in front of a computer and interacting with the computer all day. I needed to do something in engineering that actually involved people and helping people. So the first job that I took out of college was with Procter & Gamble. They were well known for, for innovation, but in particularly, I liked their statement of purpose, which was about improving the lives of the world's consumers and creating superior products that would do that. So that idea of doing something in more of a human space where you're improving people's everyday lives 
was what you know took me to to my first job. And I think initially when I entered PNG, I was in um, their beauty care division, working in hair care, and and there were other women in the organization in some senior leadership roles, and that was really encouraging to me. So at first, I really didn't think there were a lot of barriers to women, and and PNG was a great place for for a woman to work. I think at that time. But after I'd been there for a few years, I had an opportunity to take an international assignment in Europe. For me as a woman in business, it was like going back in time at least 10 years. Once I got on the site, I realized that, and I had only been with the company about five and a half years, but I was one of the most experienced women in R&D on the entire site. I had been promoted and they had you know, training for people who had been promoted to that level across different disciplines. <laughs> it was in Switzerland for a week. And so I said, great, I'll go, you know, do this training. And I get there, it's 35 men and me. And I was just a little shocked. And I had some very interesting questions from some of the men asking me, you know, who was cooking for my husband while I was traveling? I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) He's actually the cook in our family. He's the chef, not me. I mean, I can, I can cook, but he's the, he's the chef in our family. That was, uh, was definitely a shock for me stepping back. And that is a point in time when I realized that even in a relatively progressive company like Procter & Gamble, there were sectors where people were definitely behind in viewing women in leadership roles. And so that experience there, you know, made me very sensitive to making sure that, you know, women's leadership was respected and appreciated and so, you know, I got involved in trying to make sure that there was equitable representation and advancement of women that started in that work and, you know, continued through my, my time at PNG. I also, though, had some, you know, wonderful experiences working at PNG because it is a global company. I feel like I had some experience working with people of different backgrounds in the context of my high school because we were kind of right on the outer edge of Philadelphia. So we had people from different backgrounds and experiences. I had the opportunity to work with people in different backgrounds from my church, which was right at, they called it like the crossroads of the city of Philadelphia. So we had people from a wide range of different neighborhoods. Then the opportunity to work at P&G really opened up all of these opportunities to work for people around the world. And that was something that was a phenomenal experience for me. So I was working as a, as a global innovation leader and I had an opportunity to have people on my team that lived in every corner of the world and brought such diverse experiences to the role. Now, sometimes you had to work a little bit harder to get people of the different cultures to really appreciate and understand each other's backgrounds and differences. Of course, you have language differences, but you have cultural differences and all of that. But my experience was that the more diverse the the team was, if you could get them to understand each other through different interactions, um, either the work we were doing together with the consumers or the work we were doing together as a team, you could just get some phenomenal results, innovation. How do you solve tough challenges in the world? You get diverse group of people with different backgrounds together and you can figure out almost almost anything. During some of the time that I was in Cincinnati and in still having a global innovation career with Procter & Gamble, you know, raising, raising some young children, but, you know, tried to be very involved in their school. I happened to meet another woman who was a parent at my kid's school and they were in elementary school. And she had a really interesting vision around how to drive collective impact 
And this was back over 20 years ago now, but she had observed a practice called giving circles. And she had this idea about, you know, bringing to life a, you know, women-focused giving circle. She named it Impact 100. And the idea was that women would pool their financial resources, but also pool their wisdom around what the community needs might be and to give more step-changing grants in the community. And so every 100 women who joined Impact 100, each of whom would bring $1,000 to the table, we would make a $100,000 grant available back out to the community. And this organization was founded in Cincinnati, and um, I was one of the founding members, which was exciting. I thought it was a really neat idea. I ended up doing some strategic advising when the organization was forming, helping them with mission, vision, values, and then ended up joining the board in the second year and spent about six years on that board, including president and past president. And then I got involved in helping spread the model to other states. And now it's actually, there's some around the world, but that was a really great experience for me because it, you know, introduced me to the power of that collective giving and collective wisdom, which I loved. And, you know, our goal was to empower more women to get involved in philanthropy. And it definitely did that. But it also was a tremendous opportunity. We had five different focus areas for the grant giving. And so we had applicants from local nonprofits. And I was able to learn a tremendous amount about the grant writing process, the grant review process, and how to determine, you know, what some of the critical community needs were. In fact, it was through Impact 100 that I met our local organization, Women Helping Women, that was serving survivors of gender-based violence and how I got involved in that work. So the Impact 100 work led to my involvement there, as well as to board opportunities that I'm involved with now. I'm now a member of the board of our, you know, Free Store Food Bank, which is a local organization that helps with ending hunger, both from the standpoint of providing food for people in need, but also from the standpoint of doing wraparound services and workforce development so that people no longer need the services of the free store. So Impact 100 was a really terrific initial experience with not just giving money, but really learning and about the organizations that led to you know several other things that I've done in, uh, in the philanthropic space. First in you know corporate innovation, so learning how to create new breakthroughs that help people in everyday life, but learning the whole innovation pro process, which is about solving problems and making lives better as a result of solving problems. And then on the other side, I was getting involved in the philanthropic world, you know, through Impact 100, through Women Helping Women, through Restore Food Bank, you know, and learning ways of you know creating good. And I think for a long time, my mind was sort of in this mode of you know, what I grew up with, which is you, you go to work and you make money and then you give that money away to philanthropy. And so you have for-profit companies that you use to do well and build economic value. And then you have nonprofit companies that are out there doing you know the good things in the world. And I did see a lot of opportunities to cross-fertilize. I saw a lot of things that I felt I had learned in my for-profit business world that were beneficial in the strategic roles I was playing in nonprofits. And I saw some really strong you know, mission-driven work that nonprofits were doing that I thought would be beneficial. So there was that, you know, opportunity for exchange. Unfortunately, I think, you know, people look at it as way too different. 
But then um, I had an experience that was totally unexpected. Actually, joke about accidental angel investor. I was doing some work at our local university, University of Cincinnati. I was doing some strategy work with them. They had a board of trustees, not pure academic board, but a board of trustees that was looking at how to be in better partnership with with corporations and with the community. And through that work, um, I met a community leader named Tony Shipley. He was an exited software engineer. So he had successfully built and then sold a software company. And what he decided to do as his give back was to start an angel investing group. Now I had a lot of myths about angel investing. I thought angel investing was just all about the money. But once I met Tony and talked to him more, I found out that angel investing is actually a lot about economic development. Angel investors are some of the first investors into early stage or startup companies to help them get off the ground to you know, prove that they have something you know, interesting and viable from a business standpoint. And then as those grow and develop, those are the organizations that you know create jobs and create more thriving communities and you know really build a lot of positive economic development. So through that process, I learned a lot about what brought people to be involved in angel investing. Yes, they wanted to have some returns, but they also had business experience they wanted to bring. They had you know expertise that they thought they could give to help these companies grow. They had the opportunity to work with very innovative leaders doing all kinds of breakthrough and exciting things. And it was a way for them to you know stay stimulating, growing. So I found out that, you know, being involved in innovation was actually a great background to have to, to get involved in, in angel investing. I learned that angel investing was about much more than just the money. It's that combination of capital, you know, coaching and mentoring, and then connections to talent, to customers, and all of that. Queen's mm-hmm. Angels actually chose diversity, equity, inclusion as one of the three key pillars in the strategy refresh. And Tony invited me to join and help lead that. Because he said, I've tried to find ways to have women be interested in this. He said, but I'm not making progress. Maybe you can help us find ways to attract more diverse investors. And that would strengthen our organization. And then Tony also offered to um, connect me with a woman named Alicia Robb who was a senior Kaufman fellow. The Kaufman Foundation is very focused on entrepreneurship. And through Alicia, I also learned about an additional trend called impact investing. And impact investing means investing your dollars behind for-profit companies that have a positive social environmental impact at their mission at their core. And one of the myths that people have is that if a company is mission-driven, that they're not going to excel in growth and profits. And that is not true. Oftentimes, having that really clear mission is what energizes companies, what attracts talent to do that. And you know, they figure out how to solve those big problems in a way that also has a sustainable business model attached to it. So really look at what kind of difference are these companies going to make in the world? And I have a particular passion for impact investing to the companies with those positive missions. What I look for now is what are some innovative ways that can drive change? So yes, I still do some innovation consulting work, you know, that's thing, but I'm looking for innovative ways working both on the for-profit side and the nonprofit side to drive change. So part of it is the impact investing. And with that, it's like, you know, finding companies that have that mission 
at the core that I can invest behind, but also trying to diversify the number of people who are getting involved, impact investing as a way to drive change that is a complement to philanthropic giving. So I still do philanthropic giving because there's some you know, great nonprofit organizations that are out there that are doing great things, but I see impact investing as a wonderful complement to nonprofit giving so that you can work the problem from both sides. For example, the Free Store Food Bank that I'm a part of has two different social venture workforce development things that they do. One of them is a Cincinnati Cooks program. They train people to have jobs in food service and they have a catering service that they use to help support the training program for workforce development. Um, and then in the context of women helping women, there is a social venture called WorkStrong, which they go into employers and they train people how to recognize the early signs of potential domestic violence happening in the workplace and then get those employees connected to resources and women helping women to help them before things escalate. And that's a big win for employers because they can help their employees to avoid getting into difficult situations. But that's a social venture for women helping women. They're providing a real value to employers that what the employers pay for that training goes back into women helping women to help support their operations and their survivors. So I really love some of the innovative things happening in the philanthropic space. And then I love the work in impact investing. I think there's an overall need for for-profit companies to be more conscious of the impact that they're having. That's the right thing to do from a corporate citizenship standpoint, but it's also the smart thing to do from a business standpoint. If you look at how people are evolving in their decision-making, where they're investing their money, where they're spending their money, where they're choosing to work, organizations that recognize that importance of what they stand for and the impact that they're making are going to do a lot better in terms of their overall business, their ability to attract top talent. You know, there's a number of advantages. But to me, I, I see so many things in the world that could be better. And so from an innovation standpoint, I'm looking for, you know, how do you make the, the human connections that can drive change? How do you create those exchanges across organizations that drive change? You know, how do you bring the best minds to the table from both sides to get the best outcomes? My personal mission is around empowering positive impact. And I look to do that, especially through innovation and connection. So if anyone wants to learn more, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sue Bevan Baggett, and reach out um, if folks are looking for a speaker on the human side of innovation and how to drive more successful outcomes through solving the human side of innovation. That is one of the topics that I speak about, as well as angel investing, impact investing, and some of the other things that we, we talked about. Thank you, Sue. I know that our audience can see that you are coming at and approaching issues from many different angles, that there are so many different ways that people can get involved through direct volunteering, through financial support, through being on boards to impact issues that matter to them, through philanthropic efforts, as well as efforts to invest in private companies that are doing important work in the world. The possibilities really are endless. So the first step is always figuring out what it is that's affected your own life that you care enough about to step up and take action, just like Sue has. 
she's given us a model, so many ways to be a change maker in your own homegrown way with your own solutions to the issues that matter to you making sure to always involve people from various perspectives at the table to inform your own decisions. And when you do so, your world becomes so much bigger because your impact becomes bigger as your pebbles thrown into the pond that we share ripple out and make a true and deep and lasting difference. Remember that I hope you'll check out our programs and offerings that help support women like you in being the best change maker and the most effective change maker you can be. Look me up at blueroadseducation.org. You will be able to download your free ebook that reminds you of the characteristics that all change makers have in common. And you can follow a path to develop those characteristics and strengthen those characteristics in yourself. Next week, you're going to hear from another change maker, a wonderful woman named Jenna Banks, who talks to us about how to start with loving ourselves if we hope to make any big impact in the world. And I love what Jenna's message is because it aligns perfectly with our being quadrant. We start with caring for ourselves so that we have the capacity to care for others and issues that matter to us. Without doing so, we have nothing to give. In the meantime, may you be grounded in your beingness, guided in your doingness, generous in your connectedness, and inspired in your reflectiveness, so you can change the world on your own terms. I'm Patty Talbot. I'm always learning, and I know you are too. Mm -hmm.